Hello and welcome to Centuries and Saints. This is Scott Matson, your host for this podcast. Now, we recently wrapped up season one here on the podcast, looking at the patristic age of the church. For our next official season, which will be launching soon, we'll be taking a look at the attributes of God and how we can know our triune God better. Now, as I've said before, this podcast is going to be a mix of church history, systematic and historical theology, Bible studies, all of those kinds of things. So I also want this podcast to be home to sermons and Bible studies, which I have had the opportunity to teach and preach in the local church. And that's what this episode is. What you're about to hear is a sermon which I preached at our home church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, Kirk of the Hills Presbyterian, on Sunday evening, April 7th, at our Convergence service. And I preached on the parable of the rich fool from Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. I pray this sermon is a blessing to you. Enjoy. Thank you, Aaron. Uh, good evening, everyone. How are you doing? Doing well? Good. I'm doing well. Thank you. Nobody ever asks that, so I appreciate it. <laughs> um, well, it's great to be with you. As Aaron said, I am Scott. I am Meredith's husband, our brilliant worship arts director here at the Kirk. So it's wonderful to be here. Um, So we are going through this series looking at parables of Jesus and highlighting uh, certain values that we have as a church. And tonight we are on our sixth value, which as you can see here, uh, is that we desire to be a church that is generosity filled. Now, all of you in this room, I would imagine, or most of you, are familiar with the classic Charles Dickens novel, A Christmas Carol. And in this novel, readers are introduced to the story of the famous Ebenezer Scrooge, a very well-known figure in uh, literature in the West here. Now, Dickens described Scrooge in this way. He said, quote, The cold within him froze his old features, nipped his pointed nose, shriveled his cheek, and stiffened his walk. It made his eyes red, his thin lips blue, and spoke out craftily in his annoying voice, end quote. So that very artistic and literary description uh, of Ebenezer Scrooge highlights for us the fact that his selfishness and his greed had consumed him. He neglected orphans. Uh, You can probably all repeat after me the famous two-word phrase that he used to describe Christmas. Bah humbug, very good. You guys are on it. And Scrooge has become, in popular culture, uh, he's kind of a, a, just an image, a sort of a huge example of greed and selfishness and covetousness and what that looks like. And while none of us in this room will probably ever have the kind of money and resources that Scrooge had, I guarantee you that every one of us are prone to the sins that beset him. Covetousness, greed, and selfishness. And so for us as followers of Jesus, we have to be on guard against those things. And for us, the stakes are even higher because one day, every one of us is going to stand before the Lord at the day of judgment, and we will give an account for what we did with the resources God entrusted to us. So this is a very serious issue. 
And in light of that, I want to just ask a quick question for myself, for all of us, uh, and for us to ponder and to think on for these next few minutes together. And that question is, how will you and I utilize the time and the resources that God has given to us in such a way that we will be rich toward God on our final day? And so as we ponder that, as Aaron said, we'll be looking tonight at Luke 12, 13 to 21. Now, before we get into the scripture itself, I want to give a little bit of background. Um, this parable sits in Luke's narrative, in his gospel, in this larger section, which in biblical and theological circles is known as the Jerusalem travel narrative. Okay, so Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he's now on his way to the cross. Okay, so as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, getting ready to give his life as a ransom for many, for all of us. In this text, we see a young man, in the midst of this big, huge crowd, we see a young man speak up and ask Jesus a question. We see that Jesus points out the selfishness in this young man's heart, and then Jesus responds with a brilliant wisdom parable, which can teach all of us about these important eternal truths. So, as I said, our value tonight is generosity filled. And as a church, we have said that that is demonstrated by an overflowing desire to give time and money to the life and mission of the church. And the question that we're asking along with that is simply this, how am I investing time and money into God's work? Okay. So with that said, we have to remember Jesus wants us, his followers, to be rich toward God. And this is the great news. Due to the upside-down nature of God's kingdom, the way that you and I become rich towards God is by being generous and giving away the time, the money, and the treasures that we have that God has given to us. It's the beautiful nature of the upside-down kingdom of God. So number one, uh, as we look at verses 13 through 15 here, the introduction to this section of Luke's gospel, we see this very simple, life is more than stuff. Five syllables, very easy to remember. Life is more than stuff. Now again, Jesus was teaching a large, large crowd of people. Okay, he had been talking to them right before this event about the importance of fearing God and not fearing man. Okay, about confessing his name even when it costs us something. And also about giving full allegiance to Jesus. Now in this culture, uh, in this Jewish culture, a lot of times it costs people a lot to leave their life of Judaism and to follow Jesus. They would be rejected and ostracized by their families. Uh, oftentimes they would lose possessions that they owned. And Jesus had been talking about this. Very, very big weighty matters. Okay, important things here. And in my mind's eye, <clears throat> I imagine Jesus here comes to the end of one of these incredible speeches, and then all of a sudden, somewhere in the crowd, some man speaks up, teacher, tell my brother to invite the, inherit the inheritance with me. It has nothing to do with what Jesus has been talking about, right? And it's so interesting because, again, this young man he ignores everything Jesus had been saying, and out of his mouth comes the selfishness that's in his heart. 
Now, why did he appeal to Jesus? Why did he even say this? What was the point? Well, in that day, it was very common for rabbis to settle legal disputes. Okay, so this young man was appealing to Jesus' authority as a rabbi and as a spiritual teacher in an attempt to get Jesus to force the brother, the other brother, to divide the inheritance with him. Okay? So again, this young man, he sidesteps everything Jesus has just been talking about, and he goes right to, hey, I want my stuff. Teacher, help me. Tell my brother to get in line and to give me my stuff. Okay? Now, a little bit more context here. According to Old Testament law, it was the custom of the day that the father's inheritance would be divided amongst his sons when the father died. Okay? So we know then that the father in this story of this young man had died. It was also the custom of the time that the inheritance would not be divided between the brothers until the oldest brother gave his permission. So for this young man to come to Jesus and to say, tell my brother to divide the inheritance, means that this man was the younger brother. And he was trying to get Jesus to force his older brother's hand. Okay. Now, Dr. Kenneth Bailey, a New Testament scholar and expert in Middle Eastern culture, tells us that this situation could only have arisen if the father had died without leaving a will. And then there had been a fracture in the relationship between the brothers. So that's the context and the setting in which this young man asked Jesus to make his brother divide the inheritance. Okay, dad has died, and now there's a big relational split between these brothers. And what is the concern of this young man? Not, Jesus, help me reconcile with my brother, but rather, Jesus, tell him to give me my stuff. I want my stuff. I want the money. Okay, so this young man is exhibiting a a heart that wants money over relationship, okay? that desires money more than relationship. And this is greed, this is covetousness, and the Apostle Paul in the book of Colossians tells us that greed and covetousness are actually symptoms of a deeper root sin, which is idolatry. Colossians 3, Paul tells us that. Okay, so this young man is gripped by the sin of idolatry. All right? And how does Jesus respond? He says, friend or man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? In other words, Jesus refuses to do this. Then Jesus tells the crowd, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Okay? So Jesus here speaking in the tradition of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job the wisdom literature of Israel's scriptures. And he gives this saying. He says, be on guard. Your life is not in the abundance of the things that you possess. Okay, and then Jesus will go on to tell the parable to give an example of what he's talking about. All right? So at issue here for this young man and for all of us is the issue of security, right? Many times we are tempted and we fall prey to it. I know I do all the time, to find my sense of security not in the Lord, but in the size of my bank account. Uh, I I don't know if any of you can relate, um, but I would imagine all of us at one time or another have dealt with that. 
Uh, Again, Dr. Kenneth Bailey, he says this, possessions are bonded to a deep, often irrational fear, the fear of one day not having enough. Regardless of how much wealth is squirreled away, this gnawing fear presses frail humans to acquire more. There is never quite enough because the insecurity within never dies. Okay? It's a common problem. Again, we all struggle with this. There's that sense of insecurity. And as Christians, we have the opportunity each day to put our trust and our faith in God rather than in the things that we possess and find our security in the Lord. And as a quick side note, I want to highly recommend this book to you, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes by Kenneth Bailey. It's a phenomenal book, and it will really help open up uh, the Gospels in a fresh, beautiful way. So that's a free book recommendation for you. Uh, Now, this story that we're looking at tonight, this issue of security, this makes me think of another very classic story in our culture, and that's the classic by J.R.R. Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings. Okay? You guys read the book or seen the movie or both, um, you know the character Gollum. Okay? Gollum. Gollum finds the ring, the one ring of power, and he gets it, and his entire life becomes consumed by it, and then what happens? He loses it. He loses it. And Gollum, if you've seen the movie especially, you see this happen he goes insane. He's obsessed with this thing, and he, he goes from being human to gradually morphing into this creature that is just pitiful and ugly, has no relationships, um, is, is mentally, he's crazy. He lives in a cave by himself. All right? His only desire is for his ring, this ring of power that he found. He has no happiness Nothing, no relationship. And for me, is, I love the Lord of the Rings. I love Tolkien's writings. Uh, for me, Gollum is a wonderful example in literature of what Jesus is getting at in this story. Okay? As we focus on possessions and riches and things like that, uh, we lose a little bit of our humanity. We become less like Christ, and, and we sort of regress into a, a deeper sinful state. Okay? And it's a, it's a striking picture of what can happen to us when we focus on riches and possessions rather than on God. Okay. So, secondly then, as we get into this parable, the second point that we see here, again, a simple point, all we have is on loan from God. Okay. So the voice that I have, the breath in my lungs, okay, everything that you and I have, it's not ours. It's a gracious gift to us from God. Now, in verse 16, Jesus tells the parable. He says, a rich man's land was very productive. Again, a quick note, we know that land cannot do anything by itself. Jesus' point here is that God gave a harvest. Okay, so the point where Jesus says this is he's saying, God has blessed this man's land because it produced abundantly. Now, in context... These are Israelites. The people in the crowd listening to Jesus give this parable, they probably would have thought back to the book of Deuteronomy and remembered that abundant harvest, crops growing in the land, was a sign of God's covenant blessing on his people, on the people of Israel. Okay? So this man is not mindful of the covenant. He's not mindful of God at all. 
He didn't even acknowledge God in any way. And Jesus would have been saying this to rebuke the young man, saying, young man, he's God right in front of him. He's like, you're not acknowledging me either. All you care about is getting your stuff. All you care about is getting the things that you want. And Jesus goes on and says, the man thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? Now, this is a sad, sad verse. In the original Greek, it literally says that the man dialogued with himself. And if you know what the word dialogue means, it means at least two people talking. Right now, this is more of a monologue. I'm mostly the only one talking. Okay? But the, the scripture tells us that this man dialogued with himself. This means that he had no one else to discuss these issues with. And in the Middle East, in the culture there, um, which is much more based on the community and the group rather than the individual, decisions aren't made until there have been discussions with family, with friends, with the community. Okay? But in Jesus' parable here, this man has none of that. All he does is just talk to himself. It's a very, very sad state. He was alone. Okay? And this reminds me of what the prophet Isaiah wrote. He said, Woe to those who add house to house and join field to field until there is no more room and you alone are left in the land. The picture that Isaiah was painting and that Jesus picks up here in this parable is the picture of people getting rich, enriching themselves, acquiring more and more possessions, homes, lands, and all of that. But in so doing, they are far from God and they sacrifice relationships. So they end up with a huge plot of land, a big house, a lot of money, and absolutely no one to share it with. And that's the sad state of the man in this parable. And Jesus is warning this younger brother, this is going to be you. If you don't repent and put your eyes on me, you're going to end up like this. Okay? So the man in the parable says, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Okay? Unthinkable, right? Uh, the man, rather than say, boy, I wonder if I could help somebody. I wonder if there's someone that I could give some of this to. Nah. Man, I've already got big barns. Let's just tear them down and build bigger ones because I just want to store all of this for myself. Now, the 5th century church father, St. Augustine, in writing commentary on this parable, he said this. He said that this man did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his barns. Right? And isn't that true? You know, uh, more secure than any bank account, more secure than any investment uh, is the giving of what we have to others in the name of Christ. Uh, because then we gain eternal rewards, which can never, ever be lost. It's amazing. So this rich man here, he has the opportunity to demonstrate the kind of generosity which was supposed to characterize the covenant that God made with Israel. When God told Abraham, I will bless you so that you can be a blessing. Okay, this man had the opportunity to do that, but he didn't. What does he do instead? Verse 19, then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Okay? Again, he makes no mention of God. 
No mention of doing anything for anyone else. He's entirely consumed with himself. As Pastor Aaron talked about this morning in this sermon, uh, this, these verses, all we hear is I, 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 my, my, my. It's all about him. He has no thought for God or anyone else. And so the parable then reaches its climax in verse 20. And we read, but God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Very convicting words. Scary words. Now, for the listeners in the crowd who are surrounding Jesus, hearing him rebuke this young man, they would have thought back to the book of Ecclesiastes. Okay? And one thing that the preacher in Ecclesiastes laments is the fact that we work, we gain things, we, we acquire possessions, and then we die, and they're left to other people. And who knows if those people will do anything constructive or anything good with them. So what Jesus is doing by drawing on Ecclesiastes is telling this young man, telling the crowd and telling us that it is pointless and futile to store up treasures for ourselves because one day, again, we're all going to die and everything we've accumulated will just be passed on to someone else. And who knows if that person or those people will use it for any good purpose at all. So it's a sad state here in this parable. This rich man, he's come to the end of his life, and now he realizes that it's all been a waste. But guess what? It's too late to do anything about it. He is poor toward God, because in this life, his only desire was to be rich for himself. And in this is the danger. Because not only was this man selfish and greedy, far from God, far from others, but he didn't even realize he had a problem. He was spiritually blind. It's a dangerous place to be, and that can happen. All right, and so Jesus then utters one final sentence at the end of the parable, summing up his teaching, and he says, that's how it is with the one who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Okay, so this parable is packed with divine wisdom. And as we see, for this rich man, it was too late. He had missed his chance. There was nothing else he could do. Now, back to Charles Dickens. What happens at the end of A Christmas Carol? Ebenezer Scrooge is visited by the ghost of Christmas past. He sees where his life is going, and he changes course. Now, I don't know if Dickens was a Christian or not, uh, but we would say Scrooge repented, right? It wasn't too late. And as long as you have a pulse, it's not too late. As long as I have breath in my lungs, it's not too late to repent and to be generous. And so one final word, uh, Luke, with this parable, puts this parable in a great place because, again, as we saw, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to do what? To selflessly give his life for all of us as a ransom for many. So this parable, the young man who's greedy, who wants Jesus to force his brother to give him his stuff, that young man stands in contrast to Jesus, who came to this earth not to be served, but to serve and to give his life. So we have the young man and we have Jesus, 
who at the time was also relatively a young man, probably in his early 30s, right? One greedy, one infinitely giving and selfless. So, in closing then for all of us, as we think about this parable, uh, we are to be on guard against greed and against covetousness. For us here at the Kirk, again, our value is that we are a church and a people who are generosity-filled. And one of the things about being generosity-filled is that we are on guard against greed and against covetousness. In the original language, where it says to be on guard in verse 15, it actually carries the idea of actively standing guard against an enemy or a foe. That's the kind of attitude we are to have in being on guard against greed and covetousness, which again is idolatry. We're to be on guard against trying to find our security in the size of our bank account or the number of the things that we own. And so how do we do that? How do you and I live this out? Well, by time spent in God's presence through prayer and in scripture, by doing what we're doing tonight, gathering together corporately as the people of God in community and loving one another, challenging one another, partaking of the bread and the cup together as the church body, these things lead to our transformation. These things help us keep our eyes and our minds set upon the Lord. And finally, we see um, in this parable and in scripture in general that generosity is one of the primary indicators that God is truly at work in our lives. Why is that? Well, the verse everyone in the world knows, John 3.16. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his one and only son. That's right. And so as children of God, when we emulate our Father by being givers, that is evidence that we have been transformed and that God is at work in our lives. So by giving of our time and our resources to the church in service of others, love of neighbor, you and I can avoid the error of the rich man in this parable, and we can enter eternity being rich toward God. And on that day, by his grace, God will not address you and I as fool, but rather as good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, uh, God, for your word. Thank you for the wisdom you gave us in this parable. And I ask, Lord, that as we go to our discussion groups, God, that your spirit would speak to us. Lord, that you would move and work within us and help us to see, Lord, and challenge and love one another to how we can be a people more and more who are characterized by being filled with generosity. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this church. And thank you for being among us. I hope you enjoyed this sermon and the lessons our Lord teaches us through this masterful parable. Stay tuned as more sermons are coming soon. And again, be on the lookout for the beginning of season two. Also, please go to the podcast store, rate us, write a review. It really helps and we really appreciate it. So until next time, this is Scott Matson for Centuries and Saints. God bless you.